Good morning, everybody. That was extra lovely, Miss Rochelle. Thank you. Love that song with all my heart. You know, it's really worthwhile to memorize hymns because they keep you company when you need it most. Pure scripture, man. So how's everybody? How was, how was your week? Good. I hope I see lots of thumbs up. Um, well, I wanted to, you know, if you're new, you may not understand why we've flipped to this behind the bedroom door thing in the middle of Fruits of the Spirit. So traditionally for the last 60 some years, whatever's going on during the studies for the year, we take a little time for intense look at our marriage and behind the bedroom door. And we, so this week, this month, uh, Lupita opened for us with talking about marriage and how precious it is and some of the statistics that really kind of bring home uh, where our culture is. And like uh, Rochelle referred to the fact that we're diamonds, uh, you know, he's, he takes all that sin off of us and, and we can shine and reflect him. So today we'll be talking about um, communication. And this is one of my favorite studies because some of it, so much of it comes from Proverbs and uh, Proverbs is little nuggets that you can really hang on to. They're easy to memorize, easy to apply. No, well, it takes the Holy Spirit to apply them, but you know what I'm saying? It, you can see where it fits in. So I just, they're so practical. There's the word. And it really ties in with everything else that we do. Titus 2, um, our signature over-compassing verse, talks about the older women teaching the younger women. And one of the core things that we teach is to be sober-minded. And Proverbs brings us full circle from crazy woman to sound-minded. And then fruits of the spirit, we have um, the fruits of the spirits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control there it is again it's a big one ladies it's what keeps us from blaspheming our lord is by keeping our hearts and our minds and our mouths in check so that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today so this marriage thing takes a lot of communication skills don't you think (laughs) i mean a lot and god has a wonderful design for families and it starts with marriage um, it's so valuable to us. God knows what we need. Marriage can lighten the load, right? Our husband has a helper. We have a protector. We're designed to be there for each other. We're designed to be one. We're designed to be side by side. We're his help meet. Walk through life together. Our joys are doubled and our burdens are halved. We're not alone. We're supposed to enjoy each other, to laugh and to smile, look forward to being together. It should not be a drudgery. It's a safe place. It's to be a haven. Marriage is a really unique, special union, but you know what? It doesn't just happen by itself. And a lot of times we come to a place in our marriage where we, hey, hey, I need some help here. I need some counsel here. And I want to encourage us that that counsel should come from the word of God. I happen to notice on ladies who are joining second hour today in Carol Mason's class that the handout today was on counseling tips. And counseling tips isn't about what, how wise I am and how much I can help you. Counsel is from a wise Titus two woman is taking God's word and helping you to handing it to you so that you can apply it and you can see it. So I wanted to read to you, I'm gonna do a lot of um, Bible turn in today. So 
And it's going to be mostly Proverbs and Psalms. So if you want to just keep up with those, you should be in your notes as well. The notes are at the bottom of your page if you're on Zoom and on the back table if you are here with us. I'm going to start with Psalm 13. And this is just a, a, a plea from David. Don't we love David? David um, was, uh, was very honest about his feelings, turned to God for his, for his need, confessed his sins to God, and he is called the apple of God's eye. And it's, I think it's because he's so out there. You know, we, we can't hide from God. We can't pretend. We need to turn to him no matter what's going on. So Psalm 13 starts, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take, take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? You know, I found myself being pretty heavy hearted um, last week, and it just seemed to be a culmination. And I realized it was because I was spending too much time in my own thoughts, you know, just too much time dwelling on the what ifs and the imaginations of the worst case scenarios and that sort of thing. And that kind of counsel will bring us down and make us sad. And God says, and so then look what David says here. He says, consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. So David knows this is a problem. Staying in his own thoughts, seeking his own counsel is not a good place to be. So he says, consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, enlighten my eyes. And further down, I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully, bountifully with me. That's a whole change of heart from introspection and woe is me and hurt to looking at God and letting him enlighten my eyes and him giving me hope. So that's what counsel is to do. And Jesus is called the wonderful counselor. Let's look at, um, I'm going to switch over here to just a couple of Psalms down, Psalm 16, 7 and 8. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Don't you find that God's word is especially precious in the middle of the night when you're full of worry? I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, 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 hope. And finishing up with 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. What kind of counsel is that? It's a counsel that gives joy and hope, and it doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our own wisdom. It comes from the word of God. So when you're counseling someone, be careful that you're not giving from your own wisdom. Be sure that what you have to offer is backed by God's word with love. And be sure that you're not just taking one person's word for it. You know, you may be counseling a friend, and you just have her. And you know what happens when we listen to conflict? Part of the thing I do at work, one of the things I do is I help with any conflict resolution. And, and our nature is to believe the first side of the story that we hear. But we need to be really careful not to embrace that because you know what? There's always two sides. And sometimes it'll blow you away what one person's perspective is compared to another. Just think about your own children, right? In your same house with the same mom and the same instructions and they come up with two completely different stories. That's really, really common. So be careful not to just, oh, you poor thing. Well, let's get you out of there. Let's take care of this. You don't deserve it. But did Naomi always teach us? Help her to see her 2%. 
So if you're in second hour, you're in for a treat today because not only do you learn how to counsel tips for others, but to counsel your own heart with God's word. I am so thankful for God's word because my own counsel is not a good thing. So let's look at God's counsel on communication. We're going to go through a few things here. The first thing to do is to listen. Proverbs, we're going to flip over here to Proverbs now. You know, if you just read a proverb a day, if you don't have time to do one other thing, or if you want to tag it on to what you're already doing, the wisdom books, just great little nuggets. And if your heart is opening and you're, you're, you're in tune with the spirit, there is so much wisdom. Every single day, you can read that every, one a day for the rest of your life, and you'll still find fresh encouragement every day. Isn't that amazing? That's God's word, alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Proverbs 18, 13 says, and he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Who is guilty of that? Who answers before somebody's finished talking? How respectful is that? It is not. We are so bad about that. It really, really takes practice to keep our mouths shut and let someone else finish because we think we know better. Another thing I do at work is I answer the phone for people needing help with things. And if I'm in a hurry and I already know what they need, I have a tendency to want to jump in front of them and finish and give them what they need so I can get on with my next task. But you know what? All that person really wants is to be heard. That's the way we are. It is a respect thing. It is a love thing. It's a kind thing to listen to someone and let them finish. And if it's someone who's told you the same thing five times in a row, you know, you could try inserting, hey, I, I, ha- I did hear this, and this is this what you're trying to tell me? Okay, now can we move forward? You know, there's a polite way to do that. But just to interrupt people because we want to is not a good thing. And James 1.19 says that uh, we should be swift to hear and slow to speak. We have what? Two ears and one mouth. These, we need two because it takes two to listen, doesn't it? We need to tune in and listen and be slow to speak. Think before we speak. I always say people would think I was so much smarter if I would just think before I say something. Well, I step in it, I step in it full force, and I say something that's really dumb. <laughs> it could be worse than that, too. You can get yourself in trouble. But just that slow down, think before you speak. In 18.2, also a really great nugget. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in, in expressing his own heart. So what do we do when we interrupt each other? We're saying, I have something more important than you have to say. And I think you should listen to what I say, right? So that's a real big tendency. And God, and you know, it's a big tendency because it's right here in Proverbs, right? He nails us. He nails our heart. God knows our heart and knows what we need to hear. But we're more interested in telling what we know than listening to someone else. So it's really important with our husbands, really, really important with our children. Next week is going to be, we're going to be talking about love children and we'll have a good lesson on that. And Proverbs really applies to friends and family, but our emphasis this month is on husbands. So that's where I'm, I'm tending. Okay. This is in the walls of your own home. Number two, there is joy in answering well, isn't there? There's joy in that, knowing that you offered something, someone that helped. I love after a teaching when someone says, oh, I needed to hear that. Or Sheila this morning at our leader's table, 
um, came in with a verse and she was quoting it out loud. And I said, oh my gosh, Sheila, I needed to hear that. I really needed that this morning. Can you read it to me again? And then I looked it up. I, I needed that counsel in my heart. So she had the joy of knowing that what she was thinking about and what God was working on was blessing someone else. Let's look at Proverbs 15, 23. It says, a man has joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good it is. We can spout off at the mouth, ladies, all day long. Anybody can do that. But slow down and speak the truth of God's word. Enjoy the, the, um, enjoy the joy of a good answer. And how much more willing are people to receive that from us when we, when we take the time to reply in a helpful way? In verse 28 of the same proverb, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. Well, looky there. But the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. If I'm coming out of the spirit, my words are going to be full of the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience. If I'm speaking out of evil, it's going to be out of my own sin nature and what I think is important. <laughs> and perhaps even simple. Number three, well, I didn't actually number number them. I just put bullet points. But next would be always tell the truth. We're communicating always tell the truth. That's not the same thing as overtelling um, a story. You know, like I don't leave out a single detail or every detail of my past when I meet, you know, talking to my husband. Not, that's not what I was talking about. When you're, when you're engaged in conversation or you're trying to resolve a conflict, tell the truth. White lies are not acceptable. They may be acceptable in our culture, but they're not acceptable in God's economy. Tell the whole truth. Why do we lie? Well, generally it's to protect ourselves, right? We want to protect ourselves from a consequence or we want to protect ourselves from making somebody angry or having somebody not happy with us. Maybe we want to gain empathy. We want to kind of slant that story and build our army so that someone agrees with us. So it's just really important to be honest. And that way, when you're praying, you're honest too. And God can speak to our hearts when we're honest. If we're exaggerating and slanting our story and we're not in the realm of reality, then our prayers are not being heard because we're not being honest. In Colossians 3.9, God tells us, you are a new creature in Christ. Do not lie. We are new creatures. We don't have to live out of the sin nature. We can live out of the fruit of the spirit. If we know Jesus, if he's our savior, if, if we've asked for forgiveness for our sins, he's given it to us and we have this freedom to live in his spirit. If we don't have him, all we have is our sin nature and we're not able to see the truth. And we may even believe our own lives. So it's really important as believers, particularly to not lie. To keep that doorway open, that conversation open with our Lord. Number four, the next bullet point, a soft answer turns away wrath. That's Proverbs 15, one, just turning back a little bit. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. So that soft answer turns away wrath. That's one I remember using a lot when my children were little. You know, you're so busy, you're so wound up tight, there's so much to do, and it's easy just to kind of pow, pow. 
you know, push through things, be harsher than you need to. But that soft answer turns away wrath. It calms everything down, right? The opposite gets it all stirred up. And it's not about being a little meek, mild church lady. We had, a little, we had a little gal join us recently who said we were all church ladies, <laughs> but she was really impressed. She thought we were really with it for church ladies. <laughs> she was cute. Wish she'd come back. She was really cute. But it's not about personality. You know, some of us are louder than others. Some of us are more jovial, more outspoken. You know, it's not talking about that. It's talking about the attitude of, um, of being compassionate with others, having empathy, having sympathy, you know, when we engage in others, with others. In Proverbs 25, 15, I'm in the same vein here. It says, by long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. What does that say? What does it take to break a bone? Well, it takes kind of strength and power. A gentle tongue actually has that kind of power, but in God's economy, not in ours. Sometimes we just want to hit somebody over the head, right? We just get so mad. God says, soft answer turns away wrath. And that gentle word spoken rightly will break a bone. It'll make its way in. And what happens when we speak harshly? Well, others tune us out, or they may be afraid to be honest with us. You know, it puts them on the defensive. You know, we just came out of football season. The big game is over. Finally, we get nine months without football. Yay. Um, I enjoy it when it's on, but I'm always glad when it's over <laughs> so we can get on to other things. But if you're on the defensive, you know, you're not engaged. It, it puts you on the opposite side. So when we, when we are harsh, we put our family and our, whoever we're talking to on the opposite side. We're not in this together. We don't want to put your people on the defensive. And a lot of times if we're harsh and we're, and we're, not, we're not soft, we're not giving them time to figure things out themselves. We want to jump in and fix them and pa, pa, pa. And sometimes that um, harsh answer also reflects fear. I think as moms, one of our big um, temptations is to operate out of fear. You know, and we got a lot of fear right now. Our culture is a wreck. What our kids are exposed to is unbelievable. And we're afraid. And so we maybe we react harsher than we need to because we're afraid. So that soft answer, that sounds like a kind of an innocent little proverb, doesn't it? But it's very powerful. That soft answer. Have you ever been in a class where the teacher screams and screams at people to be quiet? What happens? The whole class gets louder. What if she whispers in the mic? Then everybody listens. Isn't that a cool trick? That's so awesome. But God knows that. Use that soft answer to draw others in. Proverbs 29.11 is our next point. Um, don't unload your whole mind. Hmm. It's a little more serious from here, just saying. <laughs> a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. And another, a couple of translations I looked up also said mind. A fool vents all his mind. A fool vents all his feelings. But a wise man holds them back. Does that mean that we're not, we don't address issues? Ladies, we're not talking about Stepford wives here, okay? We're talking about self-control so that we can have a relationship. If we are out in space and we're just absolutely launched with anger 
with harsh words. Um, we don't have a relationship. To have a relationship, we have to be sober-minded. We have to control our hearts. And, and that's through confession. That's through our relationship with Christ. That's through the Holy Spirit. And then we control our mind and ultimately our mouth. So it's just a matter of effective communication. God knows best how to tell us to communicate. He knows that we have this dichotomy in us. We have our old sin nature that we want to work out of, but we also have his spirit that he wants us to work out of. So what is in Proverbs really paints a picture of what that looks like. I just love Proverbs. We need to choose our words carefully. In, in Psalm 34, 13, let's pass back over there real quick. Don't have to go far this morning. I bounced back between Psalm and Proverbs quite a bit. And I think it's important when you're talking about God's word that you actually use your Bible. I know some of you guys have the app on the phone. That's great. Just, you know, make sure you have it on that little moony thing so you don't get beeped and interrupted. But um, I want you all to know I didn't make this up. <laughs> and I am very thankful for God's word because if it was up to me, things at my house would be a wreck. Let's see. 3413. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Keep your tongue from evil. You know, once we start talking, what happens? It's like a flood. It's like it, it keeps coming out. Sometimes it's hard to put it back. And as a matter of fact, um, Proverbs 17, 14 talks about that. Like if you, once you let it out, it's really hard to stop. Like, like a dam with a little leak in it doesn't stay little. All of a sudden, the force of the water behind it just keeps coming. So part of the trick is just to wait. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Pray. Give people a chance to figure things out. Don't feel like we have to always be telling and, and demanding and controlling and directing. All those things are necessary. For heaven's sakes, ladies, give, give them a chance to breathe. <laughs> Let them figure it out. You've said your piece. Let them figure it out. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says a multitude of words and a multitude of words is sin. What does that mean? That means once I start just talking to hear myself talk and I'm not listening to what I'm saying, it's, it's just a matter of time before something I wish I hadn't said or something I shouldn't have said is going to come out. Don't we love to hear ourselves talk? And when we're angry, we get worked up and we keep feeding it and feeding it and feeding it. And pretty soon we've said so many things we can't put back. Have you ever tried putting toothpaste back in the tube? You can't put them back. You can't make it right. You know, you just it's out there. And that's not true. You can't make it right. But you know what I'm saying? You just it's really hard to, to put it back and to fix it. So when we're feeling angry, what are we supposed to do with it? Well, let's think about what are your triggers? Do you know your own triggers? For me, mine is always being too busy and too big a rush. One of the ladies at our table mentioned today that expectations are kind of her trigger. Not just the expectations, but the unmet expectations. That's a trigger. Do you have that trigger? Do you have things that you expect your husband to do for you and he doesn't? So you let that trigger some anger in you and maybe some unforgiveness, some hurt. Is jealousy a problem? How about disrespect? If you feel disrespected, does that kind of set you on an angry path? I think most people, no matter who you are, hate to be disrespected. Not only do I know my own triggers, do I know my husband's triggers? You know, 
I know for my husband, a trigger is to hit him as soon as he walks in the door. No matter what I have to say to him, if it's negative, when he walks in the door, it's not going to end well. <laughs> or during dinner or right when he wakes up, you know, there's plenty of hours in the day. <laughs> Just have to think about it, you know, choose your timing well. So timing is an issue. Maybe being hungry would set you off or you just like, you know, you don't feel stable, you're hungry, you're, Joni always calls that being hangry. You're hungry, so you're kind of on the angry side. I was out to, we were out to dinner with a sweet couple we loved the other day and we had to wait a long time for our food. And she's a dear Christian friend and all of a sudden she was very hangry. <laughs> she was really ugly to the waitress, it was really funny. You should at least bring me some chips right now. <laughs> and I'm not paying for it. It was really funny. It's like, whoa, girlfriend, hangry. So maybe hangry is your thing. It was really funny. And her husband's like, okay, all right, we'll get you some chips. Everybody's dancing around trying to make her happy. <laughs> so, and what is my reaction going to be? Once once my trigger's pulled, what should my reaction be? I, you know what? It really helps to plan ahead. Helps to memorize some of these proverbs. Find, once you find your trigger, find a proverb that helps counter that. Memorize it. Think about it in the morning. Before you even start your day, dear Lord, I know I'm a struggle with being too busy and my day is really full. Help me to keep your word close to my heart. Help me stay filled with the spirit. Be offensive in your day. And then, you know, some reactions I can have that aren't good would be blaming everybody else. Well, you guys keep me so busy. Of course I'm angry or I'm upset or whatever. It's your fault. Where did blame start? Genesis 2 in the garden, right? Eve takes of the fruit she shouldn't have. Her husband takes it from her. God comes along and he points at her and she points at the serpent. Everybody's fault but my own. If I'm blaming everybody else, I can know one thing. I'm not filled with the spirit. That is not blame is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Nor are excuses. Let's look at Proverbs 26. This was a good one. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. Hmm. But who can find a faithful man? We all can find reason why we're right. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. We love talking about what we do right and why we're right and everybody else is wrong. That's another, uh, besides blame, if everything is everybody else's problem, then there's a problem. Because it can't possibly be that your whole life is filled with people who are wrong and you are right all the time. If you find yourself in that grumbly place where you're, everybody else is like, you know, you're, they're making themselves a problem, turn those eyes inward. So, godly reaction to anger is confession, right? And forgiveness is a huge part of keeping a marriage whole and healthy. Remember, I quoted uh, Dr. Ed Wheat quite a bit last week, and this book is good for um, behind the bedroom door, but it's also good just for relationships. If you know someone getting married, Love Life for Every Married Couple, it's not the newest book on the market, but I tell you what, this is a great heart book. It talks to men and women, you, all, you know, offer it to a couple to read together. Um, if you're having trouble in your own marriage, read it. If your husband will read it, that's good too. But he talks, this is, this little book nails it, Dr. Ed Wheat. But one of the things he says is that we should keep up so we don't have to catch up, right? So nip those little foxes in the bud. You know, if you're aggravated and you're 
there's conflict between you and your husband, figure out where what maybe he maybe he's done something that you need to forgive or vice versa. And how do we go about that? Well, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what? We're going to be convicted that we've done something wrong. And when we've done something wrong, what do we do? We go straight to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness. Dear Lord, I know that was a bad attitude. Please forgive me. And then we have to go to the person we've hurt and ask for forgiveness as well. Now, the hard thing about that can be, well, the great thing is sometimes people are just so thankful. Most people are pretty forgiving, you know, our kids, our husband, if we, if we confess that, you know, they see that change of heart and they see that change from self and from selfishness and that desire to confess and grow, most people will embrace that and just be thankful. But sometimes we've hurt people so bad, you know what? They're not ready to forgive us right away. And we don't get to dictate that. All we can do is to continue showing that we mean it by our words and our actions. We have all kinds of little subtle attitudes where we can show people what, you know, that we're not happy. But if I have confessed and I've done what I can, I just continue to show the person that I love them and I meant it when I said I was sorry and I mean it in my words and my actions. Does that make sense? We can't dictate. Man, we can't get mad that they don't forgive it. Just give them time to work through it. And if we feel guilty, and this is backing up just a little bit, but if we feel guilty, that's a good thing. That's God speaking to our heart. And he wants us to take that guilt to him and confess our sin. The other thing that we can do with that is continue to sin. And we do that by just feeling shameful. Oh, I'm such a bad person. Oh my gosh, I am just such a bad person. I'm a bad person. Hmm. I didn't get us anywhere. And it doesn't solve anything. We are all bad people. I hate to tell you we are all sin. God says there's none righteous, no, not one. You guys are really cute. You clean up really well. You are very sweet and precious and you behave so nicely here. But I know something about each one of you and that is that you have a sinful heart because we all do. So don't just carry that shame. God wants us to take that guilt to him. That is why he died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross for you to walk around feeling shameful. He died on the cross so we could reconcile with him after sin. That's how we become Christians is by confessing that sin. And then as we continue on our way, we have to continue to confess because just because we're Christians doesn't mean we don't sin. It's really too bad, isn't it? <laughs> but this is how we grow. So we admit it. We confess it. We learn from it. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We do what he asks of us. We take full responsibility. And ladies, when we apologize, we don't say, I'm sorry if I hurt you. We say, I am sorry I hurt you. I am really sorry that I hurt you. This is another thing we don't say. I'm sorry if you took that the wrong way. Oh, I've had that said to me. I am sorry you took it the wrong way. Who does that put the responsibility in? The other person. No, just I'm sorry. No excuses, no explanation. You know, there might be a time attached to that where you can explain. But don't start there. Just, I am sorry. A true confession, a true heart of confession. This confession creates an emotional intimacy with your husband, friends, children. But we have to have that emotional intimacy 
with our husbands to have a true behind the bedroom door intimacy, to have any kind of intimacy. It all goes together. It's so very important. We, it's very hard for women, I imagine for men too, um, you know, to, to, to want to be romantically engaged if we're angry with each other. And sometimes that's a good place to come back together. But the, the, the more um, intimate you are emotionally, the more wonderful that time together is going to be. And it is a necessity, ladies. Behind the bedroom door is a necessity as a married couple. It's not an option. So these are the ways that we can have a truly wonderful relationship with our guys. What happens when he's done wrong? Well, God says, forgive him. Well, what if he doesn't ask to be forgiven? Forgiving. And my forgiveness needs to show in my actions and my words. I don't need to extract, you know, what I think is a fair payment for what he did. You know, like manipulation behind the bedroom door or um, if he does enough nice things, I'll forgive him. If he takes, you know, if he cleans up the kitchen so many nights in a row, no, just forgive him. That's what God asks of us. God says, if you want to be forgiven, you must forgive. God doesn't expect anything else for us as far as um, being able to forgive us. We don't have to confess and. There's no and there. And so when we forgive, that's what he expects of us. We forgive. There's no ands. We don't tie on our own um, punishment, you know. So just forgive. Matthew 6, 14 is where you will find that. And in Proverbs 17, 9, like I said, ladies, I like to give you the scripture because you know, I don't do this part for fun. You know, um, I do this so you can go home and look at your notes and look up the verses and let God speak to your heart on things that are particular to your own situation. And he can speak to you where you're at. So I hope that when you finish Bible study on Thursdays, that you think about the lesson through the week, not just for the moment. You know, we're not here to tickle ears. We're here to go home and build relationships in our family. We're here to honor God and not blaspheme him in the care of our families. Uh, 17.9, he, he who covers the transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. So in, the, in, a, you know, in our relationships with our husband, do we blab what he did to our children, our mother, our friends? It's nobody else's business. You know, you might have had to seek counsel. That's one thing, you know, um, Sheila's available every week in the back room to help you if you have trouble working through things. Um, and that's, that's one thing, to seek counsel, to reach out to someone who can help you resolve this. I'm really stuck. I'm having a hard time forgiving. I don't know what to do with these thoughts. I'm just, oh, it's miserable. And I seek somebody who I know is going to turn me back to my, my Lord and to my husband, and to, my, to, to truth. But I'm not just going to blab it to make myself feel better. You know what he did. You just won't believe what he did. Don't do that. Don't do that to your guy. Um, let's see. And bitterness is the opposite of forgiveness. I'm going to read you this. I, this blew me away. The one who clings to the misery of an unforgiving spirit will be crippled in the living of life, God warns. And not only Will that person be troubled by the root of bitterness, crowding out good things in his life? But many others will be injured by it as well. The word bitterness in the Greek New Testament is pikrios, giving the idea of cutting, pricking, puncturing, that is the same time pungent and penetrating. 
it vividly communicates the sensation of torture. And this is just what you are doing to yourself and your loved ones when you refuse to forgive your mate. You are torturing them. Have you ever had someone not forgive you? That's torture. There is freedom in forgiveness, freedom for ourselves mostly and for the other person, and, and then a freedom to commune with God as well. So I did want to talk a few minutes here. You know, when things get really wrong in our relationships and we're angry and we're bitter and there's unforgiveness, that can lead to the conversation about the D word. And by the D word, I mean divorce. And at, tide of, at, at this ministry particularly, we do not counsel divorce. For one thing, we only have your side of the story. And so if you seek counsel with one of us and you're not moving forward, we have a wonderful pastor who will sit with you. I know of several. So um, we don't counsel divorce. And I'm always a little leery of speaking about divorce because I've been married for almost 44 years. However, I will tell you, I came here as a young woman having been married about five years. And if I had not come here, I most likely would not be married. There was much divorce in my family, uh, much of, uh, all, you know, adultery, all kinds of things that set my mind. And my thinking was, I'll get married, but I'm sure that I will end up divorced. It was not out of the realm of possibilities and most likely would happen. And that is how I got married. And by the time I got here, I had three children. And um, I know I was not a very good wife. And I know I was not one that, that honored my husband. And so um, with that in mind, I, I think it's so important to talk about divorce. Divorce is a hard one for me to teach as well. You know, we can talk about being angry and having bad thoughts, but I don't get to see that. You know, that's personal things and your thought life is yours, but divorce is kind of out there. And we do have ladies who've been divorced. We have single ladies, we have widows, we have unmarried, we have everything. And God talks about it. And so we must, but I want you to know it's in a loving spirit. And no matter where you are in your marriage or divorce or remarried, God is bigger than anything that you're going through. But he does have a desire for what's right and what's good for marriage. And you are not condemned to failure if you're divorced. And God does love you. So I just want you to know what the heart I have when I talk about it. So I don't speak about it often because I don't want to speak about it ever lightly. And abandonment's a real thing. You know, adultery, repeated adultery is a real thing. There are things that cause divorce um, that are very hard. However, with the amount of divorce in our culture, that is not generally the bulk of why people divorce. Um, actually, finances is one of the top reasons people divorce. Financial stress is really hard on marriage. Um, the death of a child is way up there. So there's life things that make marriage uh, vulnerable. But the world presents a divorce like it's a uh, solution, right? And um, it's not. We just change one set of problems for another. I'm still going maybe to the next marriage. i taking myself with me. I have a new person with a new set of problems and issues. I have uh, children. Maybe we have a blended family. I have to worry about when my children end up with the ex's wife and in situations where I can't see what's going on. Um, this little book, Home Economics, and it's a wonderful little study. It's quick, 
on the economic consequences of the way we have damaged the family. And that includes uh, marriage out of wedlock lock for young people, divorce. But the bottom line is divorced women do not generally fare as well financially. Many, many men are deadbeats and don't help. Financially, for one thing, also you have physically, you're left to do things alone. You're up all night long and sick with a sick kid, and then you have to get to work the next day and you're late. And so your job's um, maybe not as secure. It is not a fun situation. Um, but we paint it in this picture like, oh, I got my divorce. Like it's like, like it was my turn. I got my divorce. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a horribly traumatic thing. It's hard on our children. And I think for moms, that's the most heartbreaking thing. Um, I am the child of divorce. I will tell you, my folks divorced twice. And the last time I was 17 years old, and it is still a struggle. They still have so much animosity towards each other. It's an ugly thing, ladies. Um, candy. And then um, when, a, when a parent steps out and they're left with one parent, there's a gap there about what children believe. And, and in that scenario, they tend, that's in the book there too, in that scenario, they tend to, the kids tend to plot what's in the culture. Well, that didn't work for mom and dad. So what else is out there? Well, I think I'll just live together or I'll never get married or I don't need children. This is too painful. It affects the way they see family. So, um, but again, there are plenty of children from whole wonderful families who struggle in that way too. But as far as our own attitude, we are responsible before God. And we wanna make sure that we are not part of the problem, that we are always willing to look at ourselves and see our 2%. We're willing to recognize that life is full of suffering and maybe I'm suffering in my marriage right now, but that doesn't make it hopeless. It, it means that God has an opportunity to move. I can't tell you the number. I actually wrote down names, which I, of course I won't say out loud, but just women I know who um, stepped out of their marriage too early only to find that things turned around for their husband. And he's now a wonderful man and then somebody else has. You know, and then then you've suffered all this, um, all, all the things that go with that. So give God a chance to work, ladies. And, it, you know, I, I one marriage I think of, um, the husband is very hard to get along with, doesn't get along with a lot of people. His wife has continued to love him. They had two daughters, two of the most beautiful women, young women now in their 30s, both married and have are happily married. And, um, and I, I have to give a lot of that credit to her for staying with her marriage and teaching them to respect their father and to know that marriage is meant to last. So all that to say, ladies, um, God hates divorce. It's a hard thing. If you're thinking of it lightly, think, think again, think again, learn to get your mind sober and to turn your thoughts around and to know uh, that God has a better way. Um, I do have a testimony for us today from Carol Mason. And uh, that's her clue. She wanted to turn it off because she didn't think she could watch herself. <laughs> I told her I was going to sneak it in on her, but I won't do that to her. Good morning, gals. Jennifer asked me to give a testimony and conflicts or on conflicts. And honestly, I think my husband and I would agree we could probably win an award. And, you know, that sounds kind of funny, but that's not a good thing. And I know it's... Um, not honoring to the Lord and to how great he is. And he lives in us as Christians. So anyway, I definitely have a testimony on conflict, especially in marriage. I heard a speaker, I think last year, discussing marriage conflict. And he said, we marry and then we end up 
uh, sucking the life out of each other. Uh, and it's about having our needs met. And I could totally agree with that statement. And honestly, only God can meet all of our needs. And I'm so grateful for his ministry to me through his word and his Holy Spirit um, for us. And we will celebrate by God's grace only. 42 years of marriage in October of this year. And people say, oh, wonderful, congratulations. It's only by God's grace. And we do say that to people. Um, many of our conflicts ended in feeling hopeless. And I know we both felt that way. And um, with thoughts of separation uh, or divorce, honestly, uh, not a good situation. And that uh, one of the foundational scriptures I learned at Christown, Romans 15, 13, now may the God of all hope fill you with peace and joy as you trust in him so that you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That scripture has helped me tremendously. The God of hope will help us to change uh, individually as wives. So, and then often our 2%, which I heard for the first time at Christown many years ago, our 2% change in us rather than trying to change him um, brings a lot of hope to husbands and uh, obviously many times it'll help turn the marriage around or it will definitely improve things. And um, since it's behind the bedroom door month, I have to add a, one little comment today about that. And First uh, Corinthians 7, and I believe Jennifer went over this scripture at the beginning of the month, talks about um, it instructs us not to defraud each other as husband and wife. And it's in the area of sex, our bodies are for our spouse. And um, many women use sex as a weapon to hurt their husband or to manipulate to get what they want. And uh, when the Lord brought me to Christown, I was, um, I don't know, the second or third week, they had a workshop and I went and I, it, I fell in love with Christown the moment I got there. It's like, where have I been? What have I been doing with my life? But anyway, um, at the workshop, um, I heard the love husband word study for the first time. And honestly, it almost brought me to tears. Um, and I say this lightheartedly. It means friendly lover. I um, didn't know that I was to be his lover and to be friendly about it. When I say that to other women, they laugh and it's, it wasn't, it was not a funny situation. Um, and the Lord has definitely changed my heart tremendously in that area. And I'm so grateful from my own standpoint of what I'm responsible for. And I know my husband's very grateful for that friendly lover word study. So on the topic of forgiveness, which is part of Jennifer's uh, lesson today, a uh, couple scriptures that helped me a lot. And what um, motivated me was um, to help other people to, you know, share the gospel, to encourage other women in marriage. And um, the Lord has used that to motivate me to make changes in my own, my own heart and my own marriage. And here's one, Psalm 66, 18. This is what it says. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Um, if I regard iniquity, that's about my own sin, whether it's bitterness or unforgiveness or a grudge or whatever it is uh, in any area regarding maybe my husband's hurt me or, uh, you know, angry with someone at church or 
I'm upset with the neighbor or whatever it is. And we all have these. Um, we are to be chaste women. And it's a full-time job. It really is. And the longer I've been at Christown, the focus is, comes back to me, comes back to me. Not that our husbands don't need to change. They do. But that's not our job. I'm so grateful. My job is to be his helpmate. And one day I'll give an accounting for that. So um, that scripture, Psalm 66, 18, motivated me a lot. It's like, you know, I need to forgive him. And then I was reading through Mark recently. I'm sorry, I didn't look up what chapter this is. It's in the book of Mark. It's not the only place, but it's talking of where Jesus um, was healing someone. And then right after that, um, there's instruction on prayer. And it says, if you um, have anything against anyone, you must forgive. You must. It's not. It's not an option. And again, that motivated me. It's like, okay, I need to. I need to deal with this. Some other scriptures related to conflict that have helped me tremendously. Oh, this one, Proverbs eighteen thirteen, and it was uh, strongly pointed out to me last year that I interrupt people when they're talking, and I've done this I, for a long time for a number of reasons, which really aren't important. And this is what it says. She that answers a matter before she hears, it's folly and shame to her. And we need to let these scriptures be real to us. It's like, Carol, your interruption is folly and shame. Because for one thing, you're not respecting the other person's point of view, even if you've heard it before and you know what he's going to say that doesn't matter you need to, we need to let people speak and the other thing is we learn a lot from other people if we will but listen to them so that's helped me a lot proverbs 18 13 just to let to hear it out you know to hear all of it and then proverbs 17 14 the beginning of strife is like the letting out of water so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out just stop Sometimes I don't need to explain. Uh, sometimes I will say, um, I need some time. Could we talk about this later? And my has, husband has grown to the point of, okay, so when are we going to talk about this? Which is good. That is a good thing. It's not, uh, we need to work through it, whatever the conflict is. And sometimes that's later. Sometimes it's much later. Um, but uh, it takes two to have an argument and just abandon it is what scripture says. And the other scripture, and I've shared this many times before in Matthew 7, where um, it says, oh, hypocrite, you try and take the speck out of your brother's eye and you have a log in your own. First and foremost, the Lord is asking us to bring our own heart and before him and um, allow him to change it before there's any discussion with someone else about their heart. So, and then lastly, girls, please have fun. Look for bringing lightheartedness to your marriage. Um, I remember early on in our marriage being in a canoe together in a lake, and my husband grew up fishing, scuba diving, skin diving, hunting, all of these outdoor things. And we had an argument because I was trying to tell him that he was not um, canoeing correctly. And girls, I can make that story sound very funny, but it this is a memory that really sticks in my mind. And I imagine that my husband remembers it painfully also. And you can turn this around so simply. I don't even know. I mean, it's so silly. I don't even know what that argument started over. And I wanted to read a text 
I part of a text I had from my friend Rita, Rita Alexander, one of my amazing Titus two friends, and we shared prayer requests quickly this morning. And then she said to me, she um, has her mini, her little puppet, and there's a whole history of how uh, many developed to bring lightheartedness uh, to their home. And many helps Rita in conflict. And it's just something that brings lightheartedness and fun. Anyway, this text says, a, a question from Minnie. Would you like to subscribe to her course on mouse catology? How to counsel from a mouse's viewpoint. For payment, any cheese will do. Any cheese will do. Girls, I laughed out loud at that. And um, just bring whatever, ask the Lord for it. I'm especially younger, very way too serious. Life is hard and helpmates can bring a lightheartedness to things and just some simple fun that doesn't cost a little bit an effort in your attitude. And then I want to end lastly with the scripture that says, I can do all things. And those are the things that God has outlined in his word and his Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance and corrects us over those are the all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. And, you know, I was mentioning this to someone recently, and I used to um, be doing something that I didn't want to do. And I would say in my mind, this one's for you, Lord. And now recently, as I do it more and more, and it's become more of a part of, part of me is to say, oh, Lord, this one's for you out of a adoration for who he is and what he's done to save me wow to deliver me you know we're helpless and hopeless sinners we are and christ died on the cross he demonstrates love to us first so this one's for you lord so i love you girls and the lord bless you i wanted to read um jesus calling from today i thought this was really good come to me all with all your weaknesses, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Rest in the comfort of my presence, remembering that nothing is impossible with me. Pry your mind away from your problems so you can focus your attention on me. Recall that I'm able to do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. Instead of trying to direct me to do this and that, seek to, to attune yourself to what I'm already doing. You don't know what God's doing in your husband's life or in your life. When anxiety attempts to wedge its way into your thoughts, remind yourself that I am your shepherd. The bottom line is that I'm taking care of you. Therefore, you needn't be afraid of anything. Rather than trying to maintain control over your life, abandon yourself to my will. Though this may feel frightening, even dangerous, the safest place to be is in my will. May we all trust him. <laughs> <laughs>